we can begin this session and we're continuing to uh, talk a little bit about explore uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. This amazing text was written probably 2,000 years ago and uh, is a is really remarkable uh, treatise in spiritual and and uh, mental psychology. So it's a exploration of the nature of the mind and the body and the spiritual nature and gives a very clear roadmap, very clear instructions on how we can uh, move past the limited identification, this mistaken idea that we are separate, outside, identified with our character, with this mind-body um, operation, and rather to wake up to the truth that our nature is spiritual, that we are divine spiritual beings, expressions of this ultimate reality, and inseparate from it, inseparable from it. So, so Patanjali gives us a good uh, guideline, a good textbook to explore the nature of consciousness and to move through layers of consciousness to ultimate awakening to the truth of our nature. So this is wonderful. And uh, today we're going to continue and we'll begin to look at chapter two. Chapter two is titled Kriya Yoga. And here Patanjali gives us a definition of Kriya Yoga. But first, I want to go back to the first chapter for just a moment so we can keep things in context. And the first chapter is titled Samadhi. Samadhi is oneness consciousness. This is to bring together the attention, our awareness, with our essence of being. And when we bring these two together, our awareness with our essence of being, then there is no longer anything outside. We are resting in pure awareness. So there is no subject, object. There is only being. Sat, chit, ananda. Existence, consciousness, bliss. So this is our experience in samadhi, in the ultimate layer of samadhi. And then, of course, beyond samadhi, there is one more level of awakening where we are um, one with uh, ultimate reality and there is not even a sense of this uh, oneness or beingness. So in the beginning of the this first chapter on Samadhi, uh, Patanjali in the second sutra, he defines yoga. So he says yoga is when we pacify or restrain the fluctuations in the field of awareness. So these fluctuations, vrittis, and vritti literally translates as whirlpool or turning. So the fluctuations, the turnings in the field of awareness, and the field of awareness is chitta. And chitta is comprised of the mind, manas, the mind, the sense input, and our processing of sensory information, our desires, our memories, all these things uh, are components part of this manas and uh, another department is buddhi which is the intellect which is discerning discriminating and is really the sense of i not from an egotistical or a sense of separation but the sense that i am and then there is ahamkara which is literally translates as the i maker and this is the sense that we are separate outside of uh, the wholeness of this one reality. 
So this sense of separation, this total identification with a limited mind-body uh, complex um, comes from comes through this ahamkara, the eye maker. So together, this this sense of I, the ego, the buddhi, the intellect and discernment, and manas, the mind, to, all together, this is chitta, and this comprises the field of awareness, like a like a movie screen where the movie of our life is being projected, played out. And so we are identified with the movie screen, with the field of awareness, what's happening in it. And when we're able to turn down the volume and we're able to reduce the amount of uh, interplay that's happening in the field of awareness, the vrittis, then as this becomes quiet, as this becomes pacified, then this is what uh, Patanjali defines as yoga. So yoga is the restraint, the um, quieting, the subsiding of the fluctuations in the field of awareness so that eventually the screen, the field becomes clear. And when that happens in the next sutra, he goes on to say that when this when this field of awareness comes clear, when the fluctuations subside, then the self, that is with a capital S, the real S, self, abides in its own nature, abides in itself. So there is no longer any anything outside. There is only existence being, samadhi. So, so, so Patanjali begins by defining yoga, defining yoga in this way and saying that when this is effective, then we experience samadhi, oneness consciousness. And, and then he goes on and says, if, if the fluctuations come back, if a thought bubbles up, if we have some idea or some concept, then the tendency is for the self with the capital S to become identified with what's happening on the screen. We're back identified with the movie once again, and we lose the sense of being. So, so this is his description in the beginning. And then he goes through in the rest of this chapter and he describes the ways, first he describes what these vrittis, what these fluctuations actually are. So he, he goes through and enumerates them and describes them in detail. Knowledge, uh, delusion, uh, imagining or um, conceptualization, sleep and memory. And then he describes these. And then he goes on and he talks about how to support, create environment for um, tranquility of mind, tranquility of this field of awareness for with the objective of resting in samadhi. And so we talked in the last couple of sessions about the ways of creating tranquility, how we allow the mind to become quieter and not so agitated and to be able to support this. And then the layers, the stages of samadhi, of this uh, oneness consciousness as we as it unfolds from within us as we move in harmony with it. So, so this is the first chapter. He's talking about samadhi and and the practice of yoga or restraining, pacifying, allowing the the uh, fluctuations, the things that are happening in the field of awareness, to become quiet. So then he goes on now to the second chapter, and here he defines right off the bat defines kriya yoga, 
and he's defining Kriya Yoga. Kriya, the word Kriya means action, to do, to get involved. And so it's like the second chapter says, if you haven't been able to create a tranquil mind and you haven't experienced Samadhi, then we have to kind of go back to a little uh, uh, simpler, more basic level and start to get involved in resolving the issues and the obstacles and the restraints, the things that are getting in the way of our ability to have this tranquil mind so that we can experience Samadhi. So, so he defines Kriya Yoga and the objective of Kriya Yoga and the objective of Kriya Yoga is Samadhi. It's, this is so that we can also um, unfold and come to the realization of our true nature through Samadhi. And also, this is to remove the obstacles, the kleshas, the, the uh, impulses and the things that are resting in the subconscious that are creating problems for us and that are disturbing our tranquility of mind. And so we, we practice intently this Kriya Yoga in order to experience Samadhi and in order to remove, release, to, uh, um, to get rid of these obstacles, these kleshas. And so, and so how he defines this in, the, in this first uh, sutra of this chapter, the second chapter on Kriya Yoga, he defines this in Sanskrit. It says, tapas, swadhyaya, ishvara, pranidhana, kriya yoga. Tapas, swadhyaya, ishvara, pranidhana, kriya yoga. So this translates to kriya yoga is comprised of self-discipline, tapas, self-study, swadhyaya, and um, letting go of the sense of separation, letting go of the ego or feeling ourselves to be in God, to be completely um, in God and have God completely be in us. This is Ishvara Pranidhana. So these three components, like the three legs of a stool, uh, of a tripod, uh, these three components, so self-discipline, intensive uh, self-study, and letting go of the ego or the sense of separation. This is Kriya Yoga. So he's defined that very clearly. And, and tapas, uh, this disciplined action, uh, allows us to address our physical condition. So we engage in actions, intentional actions, and become disciplined and um, focused on doing the things that we know are useful and avoiding the things that we know are not useful. So there are these impulses that come up from the subconscious. Impulses, they're, they're called vasanas in Sanskrit. And these vasanas, these impulses, kind of lead us or, or impel us to do things. So we may have... Um, we may have the, the idea, we may have the aspiration that we're going to uh, eat healthy. We're going we're gonna to see to our, um, our physical well-being by eating only good, healthy, fresh, organic uh, foods. And because uh, there's so much consider, consideration now about immunity uh, in the face of the, the current pandemic, uh, so we're going to do this so that we can maintain a good, healthy body and a, 
you know, high level of immune function. And so we have this intention. And then we go to the refrigerator and there's a big tub of ice cream. And, you know, and so we go, well, a little ice cream, you know, that won't hurt. The vasanas, these impulses come up from within and they kind of lead us off to do things that we had decided we weren't going to do. You know, and we go, well, it's all right this time. We can make excuses. We can we can come up with a rationalization. But the rationalization, the excuses are born on these vasanas, these impulses that are deeply seated and that have not been resolved, balanced, haven't been um, handled. So so what the what this self-discipline, what Tapa says is we kind of have to tough it out. The actual tapas itself, the word uh, means to cook, to heat. And of course, as we are preparing our food, we cook our food in order to make it easier to assimilate. That is, you know, we, we assimilate, we take the food in, and then the body does its magic of transforming, uh, metabolizing and transforming this food and turning it into us. So this is assimilation and metabolism. So, so tapas, this cooking, uh, we cook our food because it makes it easier to turn into us. It makes it easier for us to assimilate and to metabolize. And so you know, we don't have to work quite so hard to get the nutrients out of our food. So in the same way, tapas helps us to cook the vasanas and the to make the positive changes that we want to make that we know are useful for ourselves, and so so we we tend to uh, sometimes have a little challenge we have to create a little heat we have to work at uh, maintaining our discipline in the face of the impulses that want to lead us off in another direction so we can think of this as kind of endurance uh, we can think of making changes, and whenever we make a change, whenever there's any kind of a change, it can be challenging. You know, it can put us off of our routine, and and so uh, sometimes in the beginning, when we make the decision to make a positive change, sometimes we have to kind of tough it out. Sometimes it's a little bit uh, challenging. So we can look at we can look at our setting our intention. And then we can be very attentive. We can be paying attention to uh, these times when these impulses come up that want to take us in in, in a direction that uh, is not in harmony with what our decision is, with what our discipline is. And so we we look at these uh, and we notice these, and then we do what we can to restrain, to um, turn down the volume, to lessen the intensity. And each time we confront one of these impulses that's leading us off in a maybe not too useful direction, each time we confront one of these and we stay, we hold steady, we remain grounded, we remain firm, then we weaken this impulse a little bit. This vasana loses some energy, loses some juice. So, so in the short term, we resist, and in the short term, uh, we find maybe it takes a little more effort, a little more energy. We have to really turn the heat up a little bit. But in time, we see that the impulses to do things that are not useful and to move in, in non, non-useful directions, uh, to go across purposes with our intention, 
um, the, 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 the juice of these impulses is turned down and eventually it becomes uh, so subtle that it's very easy to just with uh, observation to just notice this and to finally dis, uh, destroy or to, to finally cook the seeds of this completely so that it no longer is active so it no longer becomes a problem for us so we can we can physically engage in disciplined action that is where we make a decision to do something and then we follow through and we just do it and we do it every single day uh, we do it every time the, the impulse comes up and we repeat this until it becomes automatic until we're until we've rewired our mind brain system to the place where we are now changed we are now a new person we have metabolized our discipline it has become part of us we don't have to think about it anymore it's automatic you see so for example you know this and these days uh, there are many many people who are suffering who are very fearful um and uh, i just i was talking to some minister friends yesterday and and hearing some just heartbreaking stories about people who are so concerned so worried about their well-being and about what's happening in the world and and really fearful and anxious and and feeling very limited and very restricted and so and so it can be a really good discipline for us if we notice anxiety and worry and fear about the future especially in the short term because the future is really unknown you know we have um, we we have uh, ended the world we're, we're living in end times now so the world has ended as we knew it um, that's done and but it's also being recreated and reborn and you know we have the ability to to uh, participate in the way it's reborn in the new world but if we notice that we're fearful and anxious because we don't know what's going to happen next and the future is uncertain this can be a wonderful time to develop the discipline of fearlessness this can be a wonderful time to notice these impulses the vasanas that come up from within that stimulate fear worry anxiety and to sit with them and look at them and and come to an awareness of what's really going on here you see um, much of this worry and anxiety about the future um, is, is really uh, if we if we really look at it, if we look to, you know take the thirty thousand foot view and we really examine this, we know that the future has always been uncertain. We have never known what was going to happen next. You know we have this guess and we have the kind of inertia that goes on and continues to to give us the illusion that things are going to be the same tomorrow as they are today and as they have been. But if we're honest and we look back over our past. We've never been able to guess what was going to happen next. And we never would have imagined five years ago that we would be in the situation that we're in right now. And the, I mean, even before the, the virus, um, to be where we are in the conditions that we are, uh, you know, for most people, life continues to unfold and the circumstances and events and relationships, everything around us is constantly changing. So this illusion, this idea that we know what's going to happen and that we have some control over it, we can let go of that. 
See, and when we let go of that and really realize, understand that life is always happening and we're participating with it and that we are constantly being supported, that we're constantly being invited to participate in ways that are useful and fulfilling and meaningful for us and useful for the, the greater society, for the greater world. It's moving in harmony with our dharma. And so that we've never been in charge, so that God, this um, intelligent aspect that is moving through all of manifestation and creation, that God knows what's happening and is the happening and that we are participating in it. And so there's nothing to be afraid of. It's all a divine drama and we have the, the blessing to be able to participate. So, so we can look at our look at these vasanas, these these impulses that bring up the fear and the worry and anxiety, and we can sit with that and look at it and examine it and let it go. And we may have to do this, you know, ten times a day. We may have to do this ten times a day every day. But eventually, if we sit with it and we really um, contemplate and we really look at the bigger picture and the and the arc of our life so far, we will see the truth of this, that we are, you know, participating harmoniously in this evolutionary process called life, and it's wonderful. And when we get our, you know, when we get our, uh, uh, get these vasanas, we get these uh, impulses that are negative and limiting and fearful, when we get these out of the way, when we're able to resolve these, then life becomes really quite pleasant and really quite joyful and really quite fulfilling. So so this is tapas. This is creating a self-discipline with respect to all these little things that bubble up and can interfere with our, with our experience of life, you see. Um, we become so identified sometimes with things that are short-term pleasure that create long-term pain. You know, we think that this is pleasure and this is one of the, one of the delusions, you know, one of the places where ignorance uh, uh, raises its head. And that is, we assume that this thing that feels so good and is so wonderful is pleasurable, but it ends up turning into something that's painful down the line. And, uh, and so we can begin to analyze, look at these things that we're doing, I remember when I was a young teenager, my family used to go have, we had a, a tradition of going to have Thanksgiving dinner with uh, some good friends of my parents. And in my family, there were six children and the friends had eight children. So there was 14 kids and the parents in this big Thanksgiving feast. And it was a huge feast. I mean, a ton of food. And these people really liked to eat. And so we had, uh, you know, turkey and ham and three different kinds of pie and mashed potatoes and vegetables and on and on and on. And I remember being a kid and, and the food was so good, so wonderful. These people were really good cooks. And I remember eating, you know, until I was full, you know, I'd have this big plate full of Thanksgiving dinner. I would eat till I was full and then I would go back for seconds because it was so good. <laughs> and every year, you know, this was the routine. You go back and you eat, and then you finally you finish that second plate, and it's still time for pie. And uh, and you start to think, wow, I'm really. I'm... <laughs> 
And uh, you know, half an hour later, it's hard to even stay awake. And so, so what was so pleasurable for a while turns out to be kind of very uncomfortable and, and challenging. Um, and so, and many things in life are like this, you know, the, the short-term pleasure uh, really turns into a long-term discomfort or displeasure or pain. And so we can just begin to notice what's useful, what's really working, what is supportive of my ideal way of being and move in the direction of that and avoid the things that are just not useful. And if the things that are not useful are, have these strong vasanas, if they have these strong impulses and we keep finding ourselves kind of addicted, kind of going back again and again and again, then we can really sit down with ourselves and say, okay, you know, we're going to start the process of getting this under control. And even if we have to start off and do this for one hour a week, you know, Saturday morning from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, I am going to be in a fear-free state. I'm fasting from fear or whatever, you know. Even if we start off one hour at a time, gently, slowly, we can build that up and we can build that up and we will begin to decrease the power that this vasana has, that these impulses have. So this is tapas. This is the first part of our kriya yoga. That is uh, our ability through action, taking action, intentional action, to move ourselves into this ability to live in a tranquil mind and to experience the essence of our being and to continue to cook the seeds of discomfort and displeasure. So the second part is swadhyaya. Swadhyaya is uh, intense self-study. It's the study of the nature of ourself and the study of the nature of reality. So, so swadhyaya, where the tapas is uh, physical, Swadhyaya is verbal. So, so here we go and we study with enlightened teachers, you know, listening to the, to the talks of Mr. Davis, reading his books. This is Swadhyaya, re-educating, reforming the verbal stories about reality so that they conform with what is so. And so, so when we read uh, you know, these beautiful little quotations that pop up everywhere on Facebook, or we, uh, we really get into the stories that, um, and the, and the, the coaching, the information that is uh, put out by Mr. Davis or other enlightened teachers. Um, we really get into that. And, and sometimes we find that there's, uh, a disconnect. There's a little conflict between the way we're experiencing life and what they say we should be experiencing. So we say, uh, for example, later we'll talk uh, in, in a few days, we'll talk about the, the yamas and the niyamas, the observances and the restraints to be harmless and um, non-attached and, you know, to, to take care of these things. And, and so these characteristics, these attributes that uh, enlightened teachers say are useful for us, we may find, well, it's a little difficult to always be harmless. It's a little difficult to, to never be attached to anything, you know. So we feel this little disconnect. And so we continue to read and to study and to allow their 
consciousness through their words to permeate our being and to become part of us. So we basically uh, change our stories. We're able to rewire and change the way we're perceiving based on this new information, the new insights, the new inspiration. So the more we expose ourselves to these teachings, to these enlightened teachings, the more they become part of us, the more we assimilate them. So we are taking this information into us through uh, watching videos or reading the books. We take this, we assimilate this. And when we sit with it and, and contemplate and, and try to ask ourselves, well, what do they really mean? How does that work? My experience is not the same as that. So where am I missing the point? You know, uh, where are they in consciousness to have these ideas and to feel they're so important that they could be communicated? So, so by sitting with this, by contemplating these ideas and getting some reality for ourselves, they become metabolized. Now we, they become part of us. So as we sit with them and then we have these aha moments, oh, I get it. This is what he's talking about. Here's what he's trying to say. I see now. So this is, this is this process once again of assimilation and metabolizing and through self-study through this swadhyaya studying what the enlightened teachers tell us and looking at our response and studying our nature and studying how we're uh, kind of wired up and what our story is and being able to make the transformations this is swadhyaya so this can be so this is uh you know a very important aspect that goes along with transforming what we're doing in tapas on the physical level so now we're changing on the verbal level and of course it, these two work very closely together because as we study and we get insights into what's useful and to what you know how we can reframe our experience of life then this gives us uh, some insights in what disciplines we can engage in how we can make changes in the way we're living in order to fully assimilate and to, to fully metabolize these things. So the teachings inspire us to change our discipline. Our discipline uh, reduces the vasanas and the obstacles and together these two uh, allow us to, to grow, uh, to become more spiritually mature. As the vasanas and the impulses and the distractions as those things become lessened, it becomes easier for us to hear what's being said when we're listening to these teachings to get into deeper levels. So, so this is our swadhyaya, the verbal aspect. And then the final uh, leg of this tripod of this three is Ishvara Pranidhana. And Ishvara in, in, uh, in the terms of yoga is defined as ultimate reality. So ultimate reality, God, this is Ishvara. And pranidhana is um, to feel ourselves to be part of. It is uh, to have a deep devotion for, but not a devotion in a sense that God is out there somewhere and we have to kind of plug into it or figure out how to connect. But rather, pranidhana is we feel we're already part of it. It is expressing as us, through us, and as everything else. So we, we have this 
feeling of intimate relationship. And of course, we can we can help support this this feeling of uh, intimate connection and relationship. Uh, we can support this uh, through our devotion and through uh, our ability to really spiritualize our life. So we let go of the sense of separation. We let go of this ego, the small sense, the small self. We let go of um, the idea that what we have to do things in order to make things happen. So we can let go of this and let go of the results of our actions. This is the Bhagavad Gita repeats this again and again. You know, we can come into being now and acting with the awareness that <clears throat> the actions that we're taking are is actually God is this larger reality operating through us and as us that we are um, participants in this process, but it is happening and we are an intimate part of it, not separate from it. So we are we are led, we are guided, we are invited to the circumstances and events, the things that are happening in our life. And if we're, if we're um, not completely controlled by these vasanas, these impulses from within, if we're, we're observing and mindful and paying attention and have the intention to live harmoniously, then we find that we're just naturally led and guided and we can ask ourselves, well, where do these ideas come from? Where does the impulse, the idea to do this thing, to, to provide this service, you know, where does this come from? What is the origin of what has led me to where I am right now? Everything that we're experiencing now is an effect, and it's the effect of some previous cause. And, and again, if we contemplate, if we're, act, if we're uh, honest with ourselves, we can go back and we can see exactly where the cause was that led to this effect when I made this decision. Uh, I'll give you a, a, in a brief example. Um, I used to, to love to ski I lived, when I lived out in California before I moved back in uh, 1978 to work with Mr. Davis. Um, uh, I, I loved to ski. Downhill skiing was, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do in the wintertime. And my friends and I would go two or three times a month and spend the weekend up skiing at the ski resort. And I remember one time there was a, uh, they had a, they had a, a pro-am ski race. So they had this freestyle ski race at the ski slope that I would go to regularly. And there was a film crew that came <clears throat> And this film crew normally had been uh, making movies of surfers, but they had started go getting into skiing. Uh, it was Bruce Brown Productions. And so, so uh, this crew with maybe 10 or 15 individuals with cameras and lights and, and a variety of things were out there on the ski slope filming these races, these ski races. And at the time, my profession was photographer. I was a photographer and a filmmaker. I did 16 millimeter films and, and uh, pictures. And I was standing at the, at the side of the ski run next to one of these photographers, these uh, filmmakers. And during a break, I was talking to him. And 
And I asked him, I said, well, you guys all live in Los Angeles and, you know, you come out to these events to do this. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. We live all over the country. I live in Colorado and uh, Bruce Brown, the, the director, he lives in Los Angeles. And this fellow over here is uh, lives out in Nevada. And so they lived all over the place. And they were, here they were doing this, you know, amazing job making this movie. And I remember so clearly having the, the feeling, the thought and the feeling at that moment, wow, wouldn't that be great to be able to live anywhere in the country, anywhere you wanted, out in the woods, and then to be able to still have a good paying job and to be able to do these creative things. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So this was probably in 1974 that I remember having this clear experience. And uh, today I live on top of a mountain out in the woods and I'm interacting with people all over the planet. Uh, and for many years, I built a house back in 1983. I built a house out in the woods and I was doing illustrations, book covers and magazines for publishers in New York. So I was doing, you know, getting paid very well to, to uh, paint book covers and magazines, do illustrations. And I was living a thousand miles away from the places, the, the customers that I was dealing with. So the point is we can see where, where the point was where we made this decision to go in this direction or where we set things in play with our creative imagination. And then without any uh, work at it, without, any, without struggling, without even thinking about it, here later on, all this manifests, all this unfolds, and, and we are, we've, we've been led and guided through grace to the place that we are in life. And so the point of all that is to, is to really acknowledge and recognize that we are part of this process, that God has always been uh, operating within us and around us, supporting us, guiding us, leading us, and continues to do so. So Ishvara Pranidhana is the awareness, the realization, living in this consciousness all the time. I don't have to worry about how things are going to come out. I don't have to worry about the effects of my actions. I have no control over that anyway. You know, uh, if we had, if we had uh, announced back in December that the whole world would be completely locked down and that you know, all these challenges would be happening and, and, the, and the economy would be tanking. Uh, if we had announced all this to everybody in December and said, prepare, be ready, this is coming. Uh, and there were several astrologers that actually did this. Uh, you know, we <clears throat> absolutely would not have paid attention to it. It was inconceivable, <clears throat> unimaginable that such a thing could happen you know, beyond our wildest imagination, and yet here we are. And and we're in the middle of it because we're in the middle of it. We have no idea what direction it will take and how it will unfold. And so we can just get comfortable with that. Just be comfortable with not knowing and instead pay attention to what we're doing today. How am I living today? What am I doing with my precious moments? Um, I'm alive and I have the ability to interact and to relate and to think and to be disciplined and to grow and and to participate consciously mindfully in my life and i'm not on hold my life is not on hold i am you know i'm sheltering at home which is 
fine. You know, I've got my little cave here, which is a pretty comfortable little cave. Actually, it's a big cave. Um, and, and that's fine, you see. We're okay where we are, and life is happening right now. It's not on pause, where life is not on hold for later. It's happening every day, every minute. And so we can, we can really appreciate that and take advantage of that, you know. Wow, I'm alive. So what can I do today that's useful? And then as I move forward, I know that I'm going to continue to imagine and to continue to move in the direction of supporting the kind of world that I want to see in the future, the kind of reality that I want to be participating in. So, so we can do that, you see. So Ishvara Pranidhana, this gives us um, the ability to feel ourselves to be one with everything to be one with this beautiful, expressive reality and this amazing adventure of a lifetime. So, and we, and we can do that. So, so the, the uh, again, the point, the reason for our Kriya Yoga, for these actions we're engaging, is to be able to remove the obstacles and to um, allow ourselves to experience Samadhi. And, the obstacles, the impurities, the kleshas, the things that are supporting these vasanas that come up from within us uh, are due to tamas, that is the dullness of our senses, the dullness of our awareness, rajas, restlessness, the need to just keep moving and do something, anything. I'm tired of being at home, sitting here with my cat. You know, we have to, it's this feeling we have to move, though there's restlessness. And these things um, are, are part of these uh, distractions, these obstacles that stand in our way. And so we want to be, be moving in the direction of equanimity, balance, groundedness. So we can, through this process of uh, Kriya Yoga, we can destroy, we can cook the impurities, we can destroy these obstacles and come into the awareness and the experience of what we really are and to live consciously, mindfully, to be liberated, you know, to be fully free, to live as we need to live and as we're impelled to. This is, this is the vision. So in the next session, we'll talk about what these actually, what the obstacles are, Patanjali uh, you know, describes the obstacles and goes into some detail about their characteristics, their nature, and what we can do to begin to bring these things back into harmony, to move past them and see through them. So that'll be, uh, that'll be for the next time. So meanwhile, any questions? Hey, Ron, I yeah. have a question. Um, when you're when you're talking about dealing with the the tapas and some of our not so good habits, I guess my question is, how do you kind of get to a point where you're disciplined but you're not overly um, maybe being overly self-critical or too hard on yourself? Oh well, this is that's a really good question. Um, being uh, being self-critical is something that we can. Uh, use a dis our discipline to move past. In other words, when we notice that we're that we're beating ourselves up, that we're that we're in that 
a routine of constantly being self-critical, we can say, all right, I'm going to fast from being self-critical. Whenever I see myself, whenever I feel myself starting to get into this self-judgmental role, then I'm going to just stop. I'm going to take a break, uh, take a nice couple of two, maybe three nice deep yogic breaths all the way from the belly through the thorax, all the way up to the cervical, move completely open up and then push it all out completely, fill it up, push it all out. And then, and then just rest for a few moments, just rest in just being, you know, and when we exhale after that exhalation, the mind naturally comes calm. And in that calmness of mind, we can just be, and that will allow us to maybe take some of the juice out of this tendency to be self-critical. Uh, remember, there is a there is a, something called a default mode, and that is when we're not using our mind intentionally, when we're not focusing our attention, when we're not actively participating and using the mind, it drops back into autopilot. It's kind of like putting the clutch in on the car. And this default mode is critical. It's self-critical. It's judgmental. It automatically looks for all the things that are going wrong in the environment, with the people around us, and with ourself. So this is is hardwired into the, it's an app that comes with the operating system. It's hardwired into the system. And if we're not mindful, if we're not paying attention, then this default mode just takes over and we start to find out what's wrong. We start to become critical. We start to, you know, to fall into that little trap. And so our discipline then can be as soon as we notice this happening is we just say, time out. I'm not, I'm not going there this time, say, just this time. And so we can create whatever kind of reminder, whatever we can to, uh, to keep ourselves from going into these negative or these uh, emotional or, or conceptual conditions that are not useful. Same thing with fear, same thing with angry and anger. You know, we get angry about things. We get, you know, if you watch the news very much, it can be very easy to get angry, no matter, you know, depending on which side of the conversation you are, those other guys are doing these terrible things and they're messing our world up. So it can be easy to get upset with all this stuff. So we just have to, we just have to learn to be, to have this equanimity, to be, to be, uh, to be peaceful with ourselves. And to be gentle, you know, this, we don't have to be, we don't have to make this into a a difficult thing. It can be, you know, it can be a a little challenging sometimes to to push through some of these things, but, uh, but we can do this and be, be uh, supportive and be gentle with ourselves and allow ourselves to, you know, go through this process to uh, just like if we're going to cook dinner, it takes a while to heat it up and for the, the tapas to really have its effect so the food becomes digestible. And in the same way, it can take some time for us to change habits, to uh, allow ourselves to get the, to, to pacify these vasanas, these impulses. It can take time. So we just need to be patient with ourselves, compassionate with ourselves in the process, and, uh, and just maintain our intention to continue, to continue, to continue. And slowly but surely, we find that the changes really are profound and that we've really moved ourselves 
um, quite a lot from where we started out. So is that, is that helpful? Yes, thank you. All right, anything else? All right, good. Be joyful, be mindful, you know, intentional, get the tapas going and the swadhyaya and don't forget Ishwara, devotion, everything is sacred, everything is you know, an expression of God and so we can see everything as being special and being sacred, ourself, our body, our environment, the individuals around, we can really spiritualize our world by just having this devotional aspect. So, so I recommend that. And, uh, and don't forget to be joyful. Namaste.